0: This is New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. If you're enjoying this podcast, the best thing you can do for the show is to tell somebody else about it, help spread the word, and take a moment to rate and review us on your podcasting app. And thank you for making New Classical Tracks a part of your life. Every week we get to explore what's new in this diverse genre in conversation with musicians from around the globe. New Classical Tracks is a public media service, and donations from people like you make it possible. So please make your year-end donation by December 31st. You can contribute by going to yourclassical.org and click on Donate.
1: Each
0: December, We find ourselves surrounded by the darkness of winter as we're getting ready to say goodbye to the old year and welcome in the new. It can be a time of great promise. And that's the idea behind the new holiday recording from the low voice ensemble Contus. It's the first one they put out in more than a decade. The recording is called Into the Light, and they recorded it during a time of darkness as well, the global pandemic. I talked with tenors Paul Schultz and Alexander Nishibun to find out what makes this new recording unique. And that's what we hear about this week on New Classical Tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julie Elmacher. Talking with tenors Paul Schultz and Alexander Nisheben from the Ensemble contus you have just released a recording which celebrates the holiday season. It's called Into the Light. And it's the first Christmas recording that you've done in about a decade. Why? Why has it been a decade since you've done a holiday recording? Who wants to address that, Paul?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I think for us... Um, we're always trying to champion new music. And for Contus, being a low voice ensemble, we typically are singing music arranged for tenors, baritones, and basses. Um, And so I think uh, when we recorded, we've had maybe three or four other Christmas albums from years long past at this point. Um, And yeah, and and I think there's just been a lot of things coming together. We've had some new arrangements, which we hadn't captured that were, you know, holiday themed or Christmas themed. And there was just, just the right, it was the right time. And we actually have a couple of brand brand new arrangements that were written for this album essentially um the silent night by christopher h harris and uh, reginald bowen's i saw three ships and so we just had a the, the collection was right and we the other thing that we are really serious about a Cantus is diversity in programming i mean really wanting this our repertoire to be representative of not just um white males but really non-male identifying um composers and arrangers of color and so this album really is a celebration of that
0: you used a term that is somewhat new to me, a low voice ensemble. Yeah. Because I have for years referred to you as a male vocal ensemble. Tell me a little bit about that shift in the language you use to describe yourselves.
2: Yeah, it's it's a conversation that we that we have pretty frequently in the ensemble about you know, how do we identify? Because I think more and more in our in our modern landscape, there's folks who don't identify as as male who may have a low voice um so there may, there may be tenors or baritones or basses who are in a position to audition and be successful candidates uh, for contus who may not identify as male and so having that label uh male ensemble it just we just want to recognize that it it comes with some of these other considerations um because at the same time there's also a lot of repertoire that we sing that historically is very clearly branded as male chorus ensemble you know dvorak janicek for example they're writing for male chorus that's that's a that has a a definition it is a thing historically and so you can't really you don't want to discard that like that's that's something that we also embrace however we want to make space for for folks who aren't necessarily male identifying but do belong in a low voice ensemble an ensemble comprised of tenors baritones and basses it's actually one of my favorite things when we
3: go into classrooms across our education work, and you will often get questions from our students, uh, you know, do, would you ever consider hiring people, you know, hiring someone who isn't male? And being able to say yes, the answer is that it's it's a low-voice ensemble. It's not gendered. It's just about the voices in the room and what can be created with that particular texture.
0: The title of this new holiday recording is called Into the Light, and it refers not just to the month of December, you know, where we have the darkest period of the year, but this was recorded during COVID, so there was a different sense of darkness. Who would like to talk a little bit about the theme behind this, Paul?
2: Yeah, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic affected all of us in a, in a lot of profound ways, and certainly for arts arts organizations and Vocal ensembles, of course. You know we're we are have the ability to spread a lot of particles in the air very quickly, um, and so yeah. So you know things shut down for us, um, and we feel very fortunate that we really um, had the the work ethic, the good fortune, the community that lifted us up to be able to continue to make music, and so we. We came out with our COVID 19 sessions where we recorded a bunch of videos before things really shut down. We got together, we uh, were able to quarantine and get together at what we called Camp Contus um, at a little remote location uh, in Iowa. Um, and we also were able to record uh, actually three albums over the course of 2020 and 2021. Uh, one was a live album. Um, the COVID-19 sessions, which I referenced, and then this holiday album, Into the Light. And so, yeah, the backdrop was that we really wanted to find a way to create meaningful content that represented, um, you know, the kind of the Contus mission and vision, giving voice voices shared human experience, human experiences, um, music that's vulnerable, performances that are honest and authentic, and um, we... Yeah, so we feel really fortunate we were able to get together and record um, this album, which which is which I think you can hear it on the disc. It's, there's a lot of joy in these performances. Um, we try not to take for granted the fact that we were able to come together and sing, which is what so many folks, you know, this how many how many folks in the U.S. and certainly Minnesota, you know, where we're based here, love to sing in community choirs. And nobody was doing that, but we we were. We had the the privilege uh, to be able to do that because it is our full-time job. And so um, we really wanted to bring bring that energy, that hopeful um, energy, that celebratory energy to, to these performances.
0: You talk about being committed to diversity in the repertoire. Let's talk about some of the pieces that lift that idea up because there are plenty of composers represented here. Um, we have Rosephanie Powell, a spiritual glory hallelujah to the newborn king. Tell me a little bit about that arrangement.
3: Uh, well, it's a wonderful arrangement by Rosephanie, and uh, it has a killer opening solo by uh, one of our fabulous baritones, Rod Kelly Hines. Tell me, who do you call
1: the wonderful counselor? Glory oh, hallelujah.
3: Um, but one of the things we really love about it is that Rosephanie set this beautiful poetry, and and really creates this visceral kind of excitement that you feel in the music itself and it was uh, actually voiced by her husband, William C. Powell, as well um, so having that wonderful collaboration between these two artists and then bringing it to Cantus was was a real treat for all of us I think.
2: And it's it's got an ecstatic energy, Alex kind of referenced this but the soloist opens it up and it comes out of nothing and Rod as, as Alex talked about, brings the energy to the solo and... There's just a really amazing, uplifting feeling of excitement um, and joy that that is present. It's in the call and response. Um, is never been more obvious um, as a as kind of a musical a musical gesture than than in this piece.
0: wonder, because I noticed that um, when I hear you all sing something like a spiritual, it feels like, oh, somebody in the group has their roots in the spiritual. I don't know if this is true, but um, do each of you come to the table with something unique to offer the ensemble? Oh, sure. Absolutely. That's
3: something that we definitely
0: hope to find when we're actually looking for new
3: artists as well, is that we want to make sure that the 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 entirety of Contus, that the whole of the eight artists, really does create this incredibly well-rounded artist in and of itself. Um, so we do have people who have a lot of experience with spirituals, or people who have a lot of experience with early music, as Paul referenced early. Um, we have wonderful composers and arrangers in-house. We have people who have great senses for like singer-songwriter work. Um, it really is a multifaceted kind of collection of artists that really allows the ensemble to do a lot more than you'd expect out of eight voices because of this breadth
2: of knowledge and interest. And I think if there's a piece that maybe doesn't feel like it's authentic to any of the eight of us, you know, it's not something maybe we grew up with or have performed before, um, we we do our best to reach out to and engage with a collaborator. Uh, you know, maybe it's the composer if they're living or another performer that is in our network who can kind of speak to the energy that we need to bring to this um, to make sure that the performance is authentic. Oh.
0: Kind of on the other end of the spectrum is the Omagnu Mysterium by B. E. Boykin. Tell me about this setting. So that's
3: honestly one of my favorite pieces on this album. Um so Omagnu Mysterium is this is this wonderful responsory text um in Latin that uh, gosh it's the, the first way that I was introduced to it was uh, uh, in a Renaissance piece by Victoria, which is, what, like 500-something years old now. Um, but being able to hear it from this modern voice uh, is really, really astounding because it has, it has this, this, this gravitas and weight to it. it. There's a huge respect to the language, and you can hear it in the way that uh, Boykin sets it. Um, but there's this, this modernization because it sounds... You, you hear the influence of the 21st century ear or the 20th century artist. You can get that sense because of how she treats the text, and that really in, kind of informs the way that we approach that particular song because of the way she sets the lyrics. And
2: in this piece, too, one of the things that's nice is the space that we we in for this this uh, album is one of our maybe our favorite space in the twin cities it's it's a gorgeous gorgeous venue an, an old chapel on the university of saint thomas cap- campus um and the reverb is i don't know if it's 5 or 6 seconds oh
3: it's incredible but uh, it's a
2: lot it's a lot for contus and we typically have a lot of text to deliver that's one of the things that makes us sets us apart from you know, an early music ensemble or a group like Shania Clear, our, our boy band friends, out on the West Coast. Um, but we've we've usually got a, more lyrics in English that we like to get across. So so when we were in this space, this, it's boomier than it normally is for us, and so it was really fun. And I think B. E. Boykin in this piece uses a lot of silence in the composition, and in a space like this chapel, it comes alive. Yeah, and those gestures are really, really augmented in a beautiful way.
0: There's also a Spanish carol on this recording.
3: Uh, it's a wonderful work by Francisco Grao Vagara, "Mensah um, de Paz," and it's this great. It's it's the message of peace is the, the, the lyrics in English, and it speaks about the birth of the Christ Child. Uh, and it has this wonderful. Uh, it starts out with this kind of kind of dark uh, modality um, to set the to set the scene, but then it moves to this incredible brightness. when it starts speaking about the message of peace itself and what, what the Christ child brings in this particular setting. And it's wonderful. It's just so playful. It's so fun to sing and, and listen to as well. I mean, the, I hope you enjoy the album when you listen to that particular track. And it's so nice to be able to include a language that is so Prevalent in the Americas. It should be on an album released by an American choir. I, I really, really loved this particular piece and it speaks to me.
0: I was thinking, Paul, Alex mentioned one of his favorite pieces. Do you have a favorite on this recording? Which I know is hard because they're all your favorite children, but Right,
2: right. <laughs> um I do I do have several favorites. Um I think I think one of my yeah, I think I have two two answers to that. The first one that comes to mind is Joni Mitchell's River. Which is a not necessarily a song folks are gonna think of right away when they think about Christmas. Um, however, it is it is a song that is evocative of Christmas, and it's a, you know, she's talked about it being um, a song that she wrote for folks who are feeling lonely at Christmas, and you can really hear that in the text.
1: It's coming on Christmas. They're cutting down trees, they're putting up reindeer and singing songs of joy and peace.
2: What I love about it is, is that it it showcases our, our breadth and versatility as an ensemble. It's not a typical classical choral arrangement, classical choral song that you would expect to hear on a classical group's uh, album, but it's very emotional. I think the way that Contus is able to capture um, essentially what is a transcribed piano part underneath some soloists is really really beautiful and and there's motion in it and it really serves to bring up the text and to highlight the text.
1: Is
0: that one or both of you?
3: Yeah, so that is Paul Schultz to start, and then we transition to Jacob Christopher as well. Uh, Paul didn't mention it, but they are stunning, stunning solo moments um, that really do... Uh, I, I had not been ex- exposed to the song River beforehand, but I got a little misty when I heard it too, so it's a uh, pretty fabulous work.
0: I was thinking as I was listening to it how she's resurfaced recently, right. and when she you know, did that incredible... I don't know if it was really a duet, but with Brandi Carlisle, mm-hmm. that video was going around. And I got really misty realizing, oh, my gosh, like her songs have new meaning to me now that I'm hearing her sing them as, you know, what, 50 years later. Right. And I was curious maybe if you had a similar reaction.
2: Yeah. Um, we had the the privilege to actually cover an entire Joni Mitchell album a few years ago. We do a covers pop show every year where we, we rearrange pop music for our voices And sing with the band Um, but we did her we covered her entire blue album and so i had not been familiar with Joni mitchell before that i certainly am a big fan of other folk artists i love dolly parton and joan baez some of her contemporaries um but uh, i hadn't i hadn't heard much Joni mitchell before but i really you know we really immerse ourselves in whatever we're going to be covering and so this was the blue album um and one of the songs that i had the privilege to sing was little green a song she wrote um it's about um giving up a child for adoption um uh, and making that decision as a as a parent. And yeah, I had the I had the privilege and obligation sometimes to sing this solo. It's so heartrending and personal. And that's something I just love about Joni is is she's telling you exactly how she really feels. There's no lens, there's no pretense. Um, that's why her music is standing the test of time is because it is deeply personal and honest. Um, and so yeah, so I think for me, Uh, that Little Green really cemented Joni for me. And and then when we programmed River for the show, um, I was very excited and did my very best to get that solo. (laughs) Um, And and really, it's a lot of fun to share it with Jake, um, who is incredible. The other piece that I I really enjoy is Reginald Bowen's arrangement of the traditional "I Saw Three Ships Come Sailing In,"
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's
2: extremely jazzy. It's completely reimagined. It has a great energy. I know, growing up, that that carol I enjoyed that carol. It wouldn't be in my top five <laughs> carols, um, but Reginald Bohm's arrangement would be. Uh, it's ex- it's so fun, and it spreads us out um, vocally from our some of our lowest bass notes. To the very highest the tenors ever want to sing. So it's it's got it's got some really beautiful beautiful jazz chords that are that take advantage of um, all the skill that we have to offer as vocalists, which is fun.
0: see that your own Chris Foss has written two pieces that appear on this recording. And I was curious, is he the current member who's probably been with you the longest, maybe, I was thinking? Is that right? Yeah,
2: that's right. Chris is, I believe this is Chris's 15th season, so he's been here the longest. I mean, just a couple of years ago, he's kind of officially our staff composer, so if we have a moment in a show where we we want, you know, we need that closer for the show, but we can't find the piece, Chris will write something new, which has been a lot of fun. Um, and over the years, he's done a ton of arrangements for us and written a few things that are new. But the last few years, he's he's written a couple of new things. And this album, as you mentioned, features two of his works. Um, one is a setting of the, the famous poem, Twas the Night Before Christmas. Twas the night
1: before Christmas
2: Which is is filled with text painting. It just, it comes alive. You know, that, that poem has incredible imagery. And Chris Chris manages to, yeah, bring it to life. It comes right off the page. And it was fun to perform. And as a listener, I just, like, I want to pour a glass of wine and sit down and just listen to this song. It's such a blast.
0: One of the things that struck me about that was how, you know, it's a short little poem, and he's turned it into a 10-and-a-half-minute work. I mean, how did he manage to do that with... You know, such a little bit of visual imagery. Yeah. Well, I would
3: I would argue that uh, every time a singer ends up singing a piece, no matter how short the poem is, we'll always make it longer. <laughs> so uh, <laughs>
2: yeah. we have
3: to find ways to milk our moments. Of course. Um, no, but that is that is the beauty of it. It's being able to being able to read the poem. You get to share the artistry uh, in the spoken word, and it's just a different pacing than it is when it's composed. And so, being able to elongate all of these huge moments and just kind of augment sense of, of, of grandeur or, or mystery or, or excitement is something that Chris does, I think, particularly well.
2: It seems to me that he had a lot of fun really making a, a lot of these moments from a text painting perspective. Um, you know, Santa going down the chimney, Um, the jolly old elf with his, you know, tummy bouncing like a jelly roll.
1: There's
2: all these really funny moments, um, which I think is really neat because it contrasts with his other piece on this album, "Love the God Eternal." Which, when you hear it, it just sounds like a carol you've known your whole life. Um, it's it's the the harmonies are much more what I would describe as, I guess, straight ahead, predictable in a in a lovely way.
1: When Christmas
2: So, to have those two one one poem, one uh, composition that is delightful and um, fun and playful, contrasted with something that just feels so classic and and heartfelt.
3: it almost it almost feels sacred. It's really it really is quite hymn-like. it's beautiful.
0: I really like that one a lot. There are several other world premiere arrangements on this recording. I want to talk a little bit about Silent Night. You mentioned this was a new arrangement, and there are just a couple of crescendo moments in there that are just like, oh. I mean, I will never tire of that carol, especially when it's done in a new arrangement. Tell me about your reaction to this new arrangement. Yeah,
2: the Christopher H. Harris is been a friend of the ensemble for a few years. We've programmed some of his pieces. Um, we've been able to to kind of interact with him directly. Um, he's a lovely to work with. He's a, the director of choral activities down at Arkansas Tech University. Um, but he's a, he's a really emerging composer. He's getting a lot of attention now, which he is well-deserved. And so he agreed to write this brand new arrangement of Silent Night, um, and Christopher, and we kind of talked about Chris in the Twas the Night Before Christmas, Christopher also kind of stretches this out. He he t- tends to do that in some of his writing. Um, and for us, it allows us to really explore some of the complex harmonies that he's put in here. So when we were reading this off the page um, initially, it was exciting to get to hear these, what was a very busy score from a, I think they're, it's maybe written in seven parts. Ch- dissonance, a lot of, yeah, the chords are shifting uh, very quickly, but um, the way that it serves the text is it works. It works really nicely. And so I think for us, it was, it was fun to, it was really fun to put together because you get to hear, I mean, it's one thing to see your line and to sing it, but then to have it come to life for the first time ever, because this is a brand new arrangement. Um, have it come to life for you in that rehearsal room is a, a really special moment.
3: And being able to sing something that is that is so familiar to you—well, uh, at least for me—Silent uh, Night has been with, been with me since childhood. Um, but to be able to sing something of of Christopher H. Harris's caliber that's written for for me, for us, for our voices, it really is quite a humbling experience and a meaningful one as well. Too, about being an organization that gets to work with these living composers is that they don 't just compose in a vacuum when they write this piece that's sent to Kantus we get to, ex- to experience the piece and then we get to interact with the the composer it 's not odd for Cantus to be able to record ourselves and send you know drafts of the recordings to our to our collaborating composers and say hey are we are we capturing what you intended this piece to say um, and and vice versa if we 're singing it and we 're just like Gosh, Reggie, that's just that's just not possible. Then we get to have these moments and discuss things and and the collaboration extends beyond the eight artists in the room to that ninth person somewhere else.
0: Very cool. It also makes me think, because Cantus has been an ensemble now for more than twenty five years, you had a big twenty fifth anniversary celebration two years late, I think it was. That's right. <laughs> and and having that kind of you know energy constantly you know buoys you I would imagine, and that's what keeps you all engaged. Is why Chris Foss has been with the ensemble for fifteen years. I'm guessing um, that's very exciting. Yeah, I think I think there is something it's unique about Contus, and
2: certainly you know that is that makes us who we are. Is this collaborative model? There's eight of us who get to have a ton of agency. So if there's something you don't like that's happening in the ensemble, whether it's repertoire choices or who we're commissioning, um, you get to change it. You can just speak up and say, hey, let's let's do that differently. And so it does, I think, allow for folks to really be engaged and to find new ways um, new ways to express themselves in the group and to find meaning in the work that we do.
0: there are a couple of arrangements by some cantus alum aaron humble being one of them still 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 tell me about this and his setting of this austrian carol
3: i'm not going to lie i i ran into still 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 when i was still doing a lot of satb work uh, mixed mixed chorus in in boston choirs and uh, the arrangements that i would run into there are are what i would call the, the the classics that i've that i've i've known for a long time and so i was a little hesitant to see to see this you know it's like i don't know this piece i don't know are we are we are we messing with perfection and it's just not true there are so many ways when it when it's a beautiful poem to see it to see it shared in a new light by a new artist is wonderful because you just you have this moment of trust with a composer that the respect for the poetry is there and knowing what the voices can do and knowing the the warmth and beauty that you can really imbue with your new arrangement is just—it's a beautiful moment as an artist putting that music together, and then listening to it is just something that can wash over you. It's—it's just—it's a beautiful moment all all around.
1: Dream, 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 dream,
2: dream. Something I, I really enjoy about Aaron's writing is. Um, I love the way Aaron sings too, and I think Kantus asks. You know, we're always looking, and it's not unique to Kantius, I mean, we always want more legato and more intention in the phrasing. And I think something that Aaron does really beautifully in this arrangement is he sets us up um, with his part, his part writing, and um, the ways he sets the harmonies, where it's it's very uh, satisfying to sing into these lines. And I think, um, yeah, it, it definitely serves serves the text and serves the serves the original uh, Austrian carol.
0: The other Kantu Salam, whose work is featured on this recording, is Paul Rudoy. And he does an arrangement of, I wonder as I wander. Tell me what you enjoy most about this arrangement. Oh, it's definitely
3: the mystery. It has this 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 I get this sense w- for me personally when I'm when I'm singing a new work and when I'm becoming more familiar with the poetry and and kind of soundscape of the composer is that I try to imagine, you know, some sort of some sort of picture, some sort of something that can speak to the subtext of what I want to bring to that particular piece. And what Paul Rodrigo brings to this particular text, I think is is this huge sense of mystery and almost stillness for me. And I really, really appreciate the way that that was done with this particular text because in my mind with this text, there's meant to be this sense of expanse and you get it from what Ridoy puts on the page. It really is a stunning moment.
0: I have to ask you about the opening carol because the title, Angels, We Have Heard on High, very familiar, but it takes a while to get there.
2: It does. Um, this is from Sandra Choi, who's a really fantastic uh, Filipino composer-arranger. I um, mean, we have had the privilege to perf- to, to Performed quite a few of his works now in the last few years and two of his songs are on this album, Augie Novel Carols, um, and Angels We Have Heard on High. And he brings this incredible rhythmic energy to his pieces. Um, and he isn't afraid to to reimagine things and to and to kind of interpret in a way that that really makes them new. So yeah, Angels We have Heard on High opens with this this chant kind of out of nothing, and you're as a listener, you're you're saying, Well, what's going on? Especially if you know the title, you're saying, Well, where's the carol? Uh, But then once you get into it, it's just, it has this effervescence that is contagious, and it just drives all the way to the end.
3: It's one of my favorite things, is that Sander, in this seven-minute piece, really does take you through the centuries to start. In in the Renaissance and, and so keenly in the 21st century is just so much fun to actually perform and and I hope to to listen to.
0: That is followed by O Little Town of Bethlehem, and it's really good to hear, you know, those familiar carols that keep us hanging on to be introduced to the new ones, and this one was an arrangement by Kenneth Jennings, who's probably best known for the work he's done with Chanticleer, right?
2: Yeah, and, and actually, he harkens back to Contus', Contus past. Um, he's, you know, a long-time conductor at St. Olaf College, uh, which is where Contu started back in the mid-'90s, and so I think, and this this carol is one that, that I think Contu has performed Many times over the years, and so certainly when it was originally programmed, I'm sure it was with a strong familiarity with kenneth jennings um, and and I know Kantus has commissioned Kenneth Jennings over the years as well um, but but we were very excited when we realized this hadn't been recorded by Kantus before because we we love to program this one and love to sing it um, and it does for me, growing up in small town, Iowa, I went to Luther College and there's you know there's that Lutheran choral tradition, and to me this this uh, hymn and this arrangement harken back to that for me. And the beautiful moment to me
3: too is that this is a, a new um, melody. It's a new tune for me for O oh, Little Town of Bethlehem. I I knew two others from my previous work, but this one this one was new. It was bright and exciting for me. I was re- I really enjoyed
1: children it. Going,
0: There's another spiritual I have to ask you about. I was just listening to it a little bit earlier and you know found myself cranking, cranking the CD. <laughs> and that's uh track 10, Children Go. Tell me about this spiritual. And you guys adapted this
2: yes. for your group. So this is this is from the the gospel duo Joe and Eddie. Um and I would encourage listeners to get onto YouTube and to search Joe and Eddie because they are absolutely amazing. There's just two of them. Um, and this Children Go is, is pretty much a, tr- a straight um, transcription of their arrangement, the one they perform um, as two people. And there's been a couple of these. Another one, one's, one folks might recognize um, is there's a meeting here tonight, which we've performed, um, recorded and performed uh, many times. And that's another Joe and Eddie original. Um, but it has it has an incredible energy. Um, they they have a unique way of delivering text, which is really fun. Um, and this piece gets to feature uh, Chris Foss playing some guitar for us too, which which is always fun.
0: You close out the recording. With uh, a song written by a composer based in Minnesota who is in several ensembles herself, tell us about this piece, which basically is kind of a little New Year's toast. Yes.
2: Linda Cocklemeyer is one of our favorites. Um, she's a local composer, as you mentioned, from the Twin Cities here, um, and really, really has written some wonderful things. She's very active in the community. And We Toast the Days uh, for, I think, this iteration of contus We've performed this several times over the past few years on our holiday shows, and it has a nostalgia to it.
1: We toast the days with old and bad The old friends canoe
2: It features a really beautiful solo from Jacob Christopher, and it is the perfect way, I think, to ring in the new year. She has a she has a beautiful voice as a composer, and they say you know some music sings itself, and I think for for Linda Kockelmeyer's pieces, it's a pleasure to to deliver them as a singer. I find
3: it also seemed to fit so perfectly in this transitional sense between the darkest days of of the calendar year moving into the brightness and potential of a new year and seeing how that mirrors the, the concept of that we experienced with the COVID-19 pandemic, like knowing that we were traveling through the absolute darkest moments, but still with a sense of hope and recognition about there being both, both good and bad things that occurred and knowing that there is a future ahead that hopefully is brighter.
0: Paul Schultz and Alexander Nishibin tenors in the ensemble Cantus, talking about their new holiday recording, Into the Light. Thanks to Valerie Kaler, our producer for new classical tracks from American Public Media. I'm Julia Macher.